I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded an episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join in the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current cropping and crop management topics. Uh, again, my name is Dave Nikolai with the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm a crops educator. Uh, we'd like to welcome our guest for the program this morning, uh, Dr. Jeff Coulter. He's Extension Corn Specialist at the University of Minnesota Extension, and also uh, Dr. Dennis Toddy, uh, Director of the USDA uh, Midwest Climate Hub um, out of uh, the uh, Iowa area in terms of down and around uh, the uh, Ames and uh, Des Moines area as, as well. Uh, we've had both of these folks on uh, programs previous to this, so uh, we really welcome their uh, insightful inf information and education as we go forward with that. With that, I would like to uh, turn the program over, first of all, to, uh, to Dennis. And uh, uh, Dennis has been on before here, and he brought some slides along. And, and Dennis, uh, I didn't know if we would really have uh, a spring, much less summer this year, uh, up here in Minnesota, but certainly that's the case. Uh, it finally arrived, I believe. I I think it has arrived for you folks in Iowa. I know you're always ahead of us a little bit there, uh, but we're we're doing our best to try to catch up on this uh, on this corn planting and and now on the on the soybean planting and and maybe we'll finally get rid of all of that snow in northwestern Minnesota. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to you. You have a couple of things that we want to talk about here and a little bit on the, on the forecast and uh, the outlook, uh, especially for agriculture production and field crops. Sure. Yeah, you guys had, you know, you wanted water. We got you water, but we and in the form of snow, and then we didn't do well enough to get rid of it. We held on to it for a long period of time. And and the good and bad is it, it went away quickly, but then you had flooding issues because of, of the quick melt and the and the late season on that. So yes, we have finally turned a corner. Um, I mean, we're not completely done with coolness. There's a little bit more coming, but but nothing nothing major that I can see going on right now. So um, let's go ahead and dive into what we have to talk about here. Just to remember, we are with part of USDA um, with the called the Midwest Climate Hub, part of USDA ARS and Minnesota. Minnesota is part of our eight-state region, uh, so we like to to cooperate and and help out on these wherever possible. So we're happy to be here and happy to join you. Okay, quick look back at a couple things to where we are from a precipitation situation. Always a good starting point. Upper left-hand side is total precipitation over the last thirty days. And then the, the lower right-hand side is maybe the one to look at more, more closely is where we are compared to average. And so this blue area of, uh, you know, from, from northeastern Minnesota down to the far southwest and then, you know, through southern part is above average precipitation, you know, running on the order of 120, 150, or you know, 150% of average precipitation, uh, uh, which, you know, is is pretty good uh, right now. But then taking note that, you know, from the far northwest down to the southwest and across the southern part of, of Minnesota, actually, even the last 30 days have been uh, somewhat drier than average. And then if we take that back all the way back to October 1, this is what I like. I like making sure we, 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 uh, we keep in perspective is where we are in the way of precipitation since the end of last year. 
you know, we had some fairly dry soils after last growing season. So the upper left hand side here is uh, total precipitation since October 1. And again, the lower right here is where we are on a percent of, of average percent of normal. And, and the similar area is, uh, is above average over the same time period that, you know, from the far uh, northeastern part of Minnesota down, you know, it's kind of the Redwood Falls area and then over to the far southeast corner is above average. Uh, you know, Twin Cities up towards Duluth area, you know, maybe 150, uh, say getting up to, you know, more than average precipitation, while the southern edge and the western edge of the state are below average over this time frame. So despite all the snowfall that you've had, and there was a lot of snowfall when you can, we, 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 we missed out on some, some, uh, some recharge and so soil moisture last fall and have been somewhat dry in places so far this spring. Where that puts us from a soil moisture perspective, generally, uh, you know, I'd be curious to hear people's comments. Generally, I think soils are, are, are sufficiently wet at this point and maybe too wet in some places. Uh, this is a, a national soil moisture model that I like to share from a perspective. We do have a little bit of question about how, how good this is because there was some bad data going into this model for a long period of time. Basically, what's showing is the most of the southern half of the state is, is near normal in the middle of the distribution, whereas the northern part of the state still is wetter than average, uh, according to this model. Um, okay, so now we go on to where we are from a drought monitor standpoint. Uh, where are we from the U.S. drought monitor? Most of the state is is drought free. Uh, there's been enough moisture over the over the fall or you know over the winter, and we even held on to some drought uh, level during the winter because we weren't sure how much of that winter snow was actually going to get into the soils because we had frozen soils underlying all that heavy snow. So we weren't sure how much of that water was going to get through. We think between that and other rainfalls, we, we've mostly eliminated most of the drought issues. So again, similar, following similar pattern, the, the U.S. drought monitor map, the western part of the state and along the south edge, we have some D0, which is considered abnormally dry, not considered drought actually. There are just a few counties in far southwestern Minnesota bordering Iowa that are in D1 drought monitor, kind of a carryover from some of that persistent area in northwest Iowa that, that just won't go away. We haven't had enough moisture to clear that situation. Um, okay, now I do want to show a new set of maps. These aren't new. I've shown them before, but they are now publicly available. Uh, They're produced by some of our other USDA colleagues in the Office of the Chief Economist. The data is the USDA NAS data for each state, but now you know, so the new USDA NAS data that's collected each week and reported on Mondays. Now on Tuesday morning, these maps are available. So you can see on a, on a statewide base or a national basis, but then each state, uh, the various issues, you know, where we are with various crop and 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 planting issues. Uh, so the, the website is down there on the left-hand side. Uh, we can share it in the chat too. Uh, basically what you get from USDA NAS is now on these maps, but the nice thing about them is you can look at where we are compared to a five year average or how we did from the last week. So what we're showing here is, is the NAS map from this last weekend. Uh, corn planting gone up 33% over the last week. Uh, soybean planting up 12% over the last week. Uh, and you can see where how that compares across the across the region.
Okay, let's jump ahead to what we can say going ahead from this point. Uh, you know, just a reminder of some of the things that we look at in the way of climate outlooks. The first one that has gotten a huge amount of play, and it is a legitimately a, a big thing to talk about, is what's happening with El Nino. Uh, we've gone from La Nina for the last three years that rapidly collapsed this spring. We went from La Nina conditions over the winter, collapsed during the spring, and then we have quickly transitioned now to El Nino conditions. And the graphic we're showing you here is the sea surface temperatures in the Pacific Ocean, the Central Pacific Ocean. Anything that's in blue is colder than average. And then anything that is red and darker red is, is warmer than average and much warmer than average. So on the right-hand side, you see this area of, of, of warmer than average increasing, especially along the coast of South America. That's showing a rapid transition towards El Nino conditions in the spring, late winter and spring. I was I kept mentioning, ah, I, I, you know, El Nino may become a player this spring or during the summer and fall, more likely the fall. It is looking more and more likely that El Nino is going to become a player this spring or excuse me, this summer. Uh, let's show you a graphic here. This shows the probabilities of what's going to happen in the way of the, the, the three phases, uh, El Nino, La Nina, and neutral conditions. Uh, the three bars over each three month period. So for example, on the bottom, AMJ is April, May, June, MJJ is May, June, July, JJA is June, July, August. The red bar is over 80% likelihood that we're going to be in El Nino conditions for June, July, August. So that this summer does look like it's going to be influenced by El Nino conditions. National folks uh, from the Climate Prediction Center will not talk about this frequently because they don't have, uh, they don't think there's a strong enough relationship with El Nino during the summertime. It's more so in the wintertime, and we expect El Nino to affect this coming winter. But we've done some work previously that does show El Nino does have some influence during the summertime. It's not incredibly strong, but there are some things that we can talk about with that. Uh, and, and typically what those are, and we'll, we'll chat, we'll check on it here again too, is that during the summer, less likelihood of dryness. It may not be wet, but it's it's unlikely to be dry, and it's less likely to be warmer than average. Maybe near average, maybe cooler, but uh, the, those are the the kind of things we found uh, in most of the Midwest. Okay. Let's jump ahead to what we can say about the specific outlooks now. Here we're showing the next seven-day precipitation map, uh, and the, there are two, well, two main issues if you look across the countries, Texas and the Southern Plains, which also need rain, are getting a lot of that, but Northern Plains and even into that Western Minnesota, Southwest Minnesota area has a, a good chance of, you know, one to two inches plus possibly in, in, in rainfall over the next week with thunderstorms coming through the area. So that area that has been a little bit dry, we have an opportunity to, to get some rainfall there. Uh, unfortunately, may slow planting progress down a bit, uh, but there is some good news if we go ahead to the eight to 14 day outlook. So the next week, week two, which puts us into about the third week of May, um, you see on the right-hand side, a higher likelihood of drier than average. And this kind of continues through the through the end of May into the first part of June. Not a huge, uh, but but we are tilting towards the, the drier side. So it looks like that, you know, if thing if prog progress gets slowed down this week, we will be able to make progress over the over the time period after that. And on the left-hand side, temperature-wise, I hinted at this earlier that maybe a little bit of coolness again as we get into the latter part of May. I don't foresee this being a major issue, but it will be a little bit of a slowdown in, in, in our crop progress and crop development. 
Okay, in the interest of time, let's let's keep rolling here. Uh, kind of a summary, uh, next seven days, more likely wetter, especially in the south and west, uh, more likely drier into the, the, the end of May and early June. Uh, El Nino is going to become more of a play. Typically, drought is not an issue with with our growing season. Uh, so, you know, with a little bit of delay and and a, a potential maybe being a little bit cooler this summer, uh, you know, there may be a little bit of slower crop development. I don't foresee that being a major issue, but it's it's something that we're going to have to keep a watch on as we go along. And to that end, we do have just a reminder of this crop growing degree A tool that we have. It's amazing this thing has been around for 10 years, started with a project when I was in South Dakota and a regional project that's still around and, and getting a lot of use. So I encourage you to grab that and use that wherever you want to. And then just a reminder too of, of our Climate Hub's website. And uh, we also on that website have climate outlooks that we touch on uh, along the way if, if want, people want to, to, to sign up for our newsletter or just check our website for climate outlooks. Okay, back to you folks. Well, Dennis, maybe just a, a little bit more about the Growing Degree Day tool. I think it's very easy to use for uh, for folks because basically you get the you get the map of the state, and all you have to do basically is click on a particular area or, or county or township, and uh, it's very in, you know intuitive from a historical standpoint. So it'll give you some kind of a baseline. Uh, is and I and that process is still within the tool. And, and the other part that is great about it is it allows you to select when you planted. You know, I planted on May 12th. Mm -hmm. You can set the start point for May 12th, and then you get to set your variety. You know, I'm using a 105-day, I'm using a 98 variety, and it shows where you are and your likelihood to hit, like here's the likelihood when you're going to hit uh, a tasseling is the red line, and the black line is is black layer. So, and, and this is basically a climatology projection throughout the year, but some error bounds around that it's a really it's a really uh useful tool well it's it's out there and, and we'll we'll pop it up in the in the chat box uh for people to see from time to time uh uh, uh as well uh, uh with that before i bring in uh, uh jeff i just want to i we were kind of rushing here to we'll make sure we get out the whole program in here but i want to give uh uh comments here in terms of our sponsors uh the minnesota soybean research and promotion council and also the Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council, along with, of course, University of Minnesota Extension, um, are, are the uh, folks that help to provide uh, this program, um, and we will continue throughout uh, uh, throughout the year. Uh, with that, um, uh, if you have questions, put them in the Q and A box and, and so forth. But uh, Jeff, you know that's that's one of the things I we were talking before we started here. I, I had a chance to go out and. Uh, work with a couple of local farmers on a on a corn plot uh, yesterday in on in Renville County. Uh, we got almost done, uh, and then the then of course uh, I told Dennis. Uh, unfortunately, had one of those pop up showers that he should have taken care of, but we got rained out at at the end. But we've got a lot of corn in the ground uh, uh, in a lot of places. Southern Minnesota is you know talking to folks way over you know 80, 90 percent right around in that Renville County area, maybe 65, 70, and. And it, and it changes in there. Didn't see anything emerged in there. Or should we be concerned? But uh, do we for, forget from year to year that it does take a while for corn to emerge after planting, particularly in some of these soil types? Any comments on that? Well, generally, it takes about 120 growing degree days after planting for emergence to occur. And at these temperatures that we've had since about last week, you know, it's only going to take about 10 to 12 days. So... Um, emergence should occur fairly quickly for most of this crop since uh, temperatures and moisture are favorable. 
Um, I know, you know, we're getting into May now. It's the 10th of May and uh, people are starting to look at the calendar and get a little concerned that, you know, the optimum planting window is slipping away. But, uh, you know, I think we're still in the optimum planting window yet. Uh, between 2009 and 2016, we did 26 planting date trials across the state of Minnesota. And on average, the optimum planting window was between April 25 and May 12. And that's on average. But in comparison to average, I would say that this year is not an average year. It's a little bit late for spring to arrive. So I think that optimum planting window this year could potentially extend to about May 15 or maybe even a little later. Um, I think we've got good chance for a good yield this year. I think a key thing to remember for corn is that we don't want to mud the crop in. We need to make sure that the soil conditions are favorable before we do tillage. Uh, the last thing we want to do is get in there when it's too wet and create a lot of small clods and then have the soil dry out afterwards, after we're done planting. And in that scenario, we can have seed clod contact rather than seed soil contact. And that's a problem because that means there's going to be a lot of little air pockets in the soil and that's not going to be favorable for having that water to quickly imbibe into the corn seeds. You know, we want to have all those, all those plants emerging at about the same time. And in order to do that, they need to be imbibing water at the same rate. So, um, you know, I think that's a, a key consideration. Another thing to realize is that, you know, uh, for corn yield, uh, most of it is determined based on the weather conditions that occur the two weeks before tasseling and the three weeks after the tassels emerge. So basically from about mid-July through, oh, mid-August, that's the weather conditions during that period are really what determine the yield, assuming that you were able to get an acceptable stand established earlier in the year. That's one of the things, you know, that we were talking about before, Dennis, um, you know, how, how, how reliable are some of these long-term summertime forecasts, especially with El Nino, when we talked about what Jeff just mentioned, you know, the late July and, and early August. Uh, can you uh, lift up the hood and peek in and <laughs> give us an idea what you see? I mean, the, the longer range outlooks at any time during the summertime are, are, are a bit... Yeah, you know, can't can't tell you too much uh, along with that, but with an El Nino influence, our likelihood of not being hot during those times goes down. I mean, it still can, uh, it still can be a problem, uh, but the likelihood of that is reduced. Now, on the offside, as we were talking about before, we've had this this thing, we had this issue show up with midsummer dryness becoming a, a, a more of an issue. Uh, so the midsummer heat we, we know occurs regularly, but but with El Nino may knock that down. Uh, the chance of that midsummer dryness is still there, but with El Nino, it would reduce that risk also. So there's still some risk, but it's not as high as we've had some other years. So Jeff, getting back to the calendar here um, a little bit, I know a lot of folks maybe that are perhaps listening in or will hear, listen to this later about Northwestern Minnesota. Um, what's our recommendation? Do you want to have folks just hang in there and stay with your relative maturity of uh, safer on, on corn that you already, you know, have in the shed or have ready to go? Yeah, well, a general guideline that I think we should stick to this year is you know stick with your planned seed choices until we get up to May 22. 
And between May 22nd and the 28th, uh, consider switching to hybrids that are five to seven relative maturity units earlier than what are considered considered full season for your area. So with, with that hold, you know, the folks up in Northwest, some of those haven't had been able to turn much of a wheel here until very lately, or, or if at all, uh, on that. Are they a little, little bit different? I mean, they're going to probably use a shorter maturity hybrid already to begin with. I would still stick with those. Uh, the, I would still stick with that guideline up in the Northwest. I know they haven't been able to get in much, but, um, you know, that's a, a region where um, it, they're, they're, they're starting out with earlier maturity hybrids at the beginning, but that's what's considered full season for their area. And we don't want to, uh, I, I would say that the risk of uh, getting your crop froze before it reaches maturity are, you know, they're, they're there in the Northwest, especially in comparison to like Southern Minnesota. And I, I would stick with those guidelines rather than trying to just stick with a full season hybrid into, until June. Well, based on what you both have talked about, one of the questions came in, and, and this is probably a, like a, a softball here, a nice, easy you know, hit here for both of you. Uh, the question is, what is the probability at this time for a normal corn yield in 2023? Okay, so you can both can comment on on that from a climate perspective uh, uh, on there. So I don't, I don't know if you, you you can swing and try to hit the ball here, Dennis and, and, and Jeff, but I'll leave it up to you. So what is the probability at this time for a normal corn yield in 2023, as far as you can tell? Well, I assume they're talking about Minnesota. Um, yes. I, I mean, on a, on a, on a re national basis, I would say it's pretty good. Um, on, on a Minnesota basis, um, I'd say yes. Also, the, the the cooler, wetter seasons, if they are a problem, um, you tend to have enough yield. It's just harder to manage and, and doesn't dry down as well. But I'll defer to the corn the corn experts here. Yeah. Well, I think we're off to a, a great start. You know, the calendar year the calendar is a little bit later than what we would like. Um, you know, but uh, I think we're in good in good shape. Um, you know, and if we have a cooler year, that can really help us during grain filling period. Uh, that could help to extend that grain filling period rather than, you know, having the heat there to push that crop crop through. Sometimes uh, that can really help us to get some heavier kernels. So I think we're in, in a good situation. I see no reason why we would expect anything less than average this year and probably a little above average if the weather is favorable. One of the questions that we got in previous to the uh, uh, the Zoom uh, webinar this morning, Jeff, and I think you might have thought about this a little bit. Actually, it's it's outside of corn, but I, I think some of the same things apply. And you know, what are any tips to increase the soybean stand? Uh, you know, all the focus has been on corn. You know, or, or a lot of that situations with that are. Do some of the same principles involve? Uh, you know, in, in making sure that we get a good soybean stand out there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think a key thing, again, is to avoid doing tillage when it's too wet. And then also to be thinking about, you know, having those seeds planted into moisture. Uh, we've seen this in some years, you know, where it's been dry and they do the tillage well in advance of the planting. And then they end up planting the soybean, maybe a little on the shallow side. And this, the beans just sit there until it rains. And then in some cases, they may sit there a while in the soil and then they emerge and then the emergence isn't necessarily uniform. 
um, that, that's kind of a concern. So doing what you can to ensure that you're not tilling the soil when it's too wet, but then also that you're getting good seed soil contact and that all those beans are placed into moisture. I think that's going to uh, help you out. Okay. Uh, we have another question that, that came in and, and Anthony Hansen is, is, is on the line. I, I, I call Anthony our producer uh, for, these, uh, for these series. So maybe you want to unmute. And I don't know if you planted this question or, or not, but um, you know, with that looking forward, would it be, would it be useful for uh, if we talk about seed treatments and also seed corn maggot um, and, and effect on, on soybeans here? And I think you just wrote a crop news on that, but uh, is there, are there some critical times here uh, when, we, when we talk about that in terms of uh, what to look for and be observant as we're still planting, Anthony? Yeah, Dave, um, it's kind of shaping up with the degree day forecast for seed corn maggot that it should be around, oh, this weekend or so that we hit the peak for that. So if you are in fields that already have high risk for it or history of it, um, and if you maybe want to avoid planting around this weekend, plus or minus a couple days, um, you know, you'll probably know already if you're in fields that you've had a history of significant issues. So you're probably aware of that one already. But just keep that one in mind that uh, those forecasts are showing right around that ballpark. If you're planting earlier this week or in later into the following week, um, you should be outside that window at least. So just be aware of that one there. Uh, seed treatments uh, can offer some protection, uh, but that's another case where I wouldn't be you know, arranging seed treatments um, just because the timing is right. It's again, that history in the field if you know you have issues there. Um, but that should cover it. If you, uh, yeah, this kind of can change your planting schedule. I know that's hard to do. We're just trying to get all of our crops in the ground as soon as we can. So that's uh, a tough consideration for some folks, but just keep that one in mind if you're in a high risk area. Well, certainly um, you wrote a, a Minnesota crop news. And so if folks want to look at those and I put in a plug for a number of other articles and so forth that are in there released on a regular basis, just go to University of Minnesota uh, crop news, and you can pull up uh, similar articles, but certainly the one that Anthony is talking about um, in affecting both corn and uh, and and soybeans uh, um, as well uh, with that. Um, in terms of other other items, Jeff, um, on anything else that you've come across or getting questions from uh, from growers or observations that you'd like to cover? No, I think I've pretty much covered everything at this point. I'm just. Uh hanging out ready to take some questions if we have sure. any okay uh dennis um any uh, any other um uh, uh comments about uh, uh some of those particular situations here um uh on 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 a climate i guess the question i had for you is we almost seem to be irritating this atmosphere here where we have these periodic showers here this week and maybe this coming weekend are we we're still going to deal with that in the next four or five days as far as what I would call very spotty situations. I, I would expect, um, you know, we've made that transition from, you know, during the cold season, you know, from fall through the winter to early spring, more of our precipitation is larger low pressure system areas. So you can kind of see it come, you can gauge where the areas of, of precipitation are going to be better. We've now transitioned to a summertime where uh, thunderstorms are more based on 
local conditions, I'll say, and even what happens the day before. Thunderstorms yesterday can help set up thunderstorms tomorrow uh, or, or today in the case. So it's it's harder to predict exactly where they will be. We can tell where areas are, but exactly who's going to get it, how much they're going to get is, is harder to do in the in once we get to the, the convective season. So that, therefore, I want to put in a strong plug and endorsement for pre-emergence herbicides, if that's in your program, they consider those because Dennis, you never know, you know, it's better to be, you know, making those applications you know, when that rainfall, you know, we, we talked on a podcast uh, the other day with, uh, with Dr. Devlin Serengi, our weed scientist, but, you know, if, if we can get that quarter to half inch, you know, certainly that helps in a lot of cases uh, for uh, getting it down into soil solution. So pre's are really there because it's been our experience, you know, every year, and it probably will be this year with the soil temperatures and, and Jeff, you would concur, I think, too, that we're going to have the corn and soybeans and the weeds all emerge at the same time here. So um, what you can do for early season weed control will really, uh, really be timely and and uh, and, and helpful uh, uh, with that. Uh, was there, there was another question that came in about field cultivator for uh, versus vertical tillage. And obviously, for, I think it gets back to what Jeff was saying. Uh, we don't want to uh, bring up, uh, do a lot of damage from the standpoint of compaction. But with mudding the crop in, you know, if you do a slight little bit of tillage, probably uh, would be better, you know, than than a deep tillage at this point in time. We don't want to make clods, so uh, that would be my biggest concern with any of this types of tillage or the the, the subsoiling. And we can dive into that a little bit more uh, when we talk about things for the fall uh, as well. But you really want that perfect uh, as well seedbed, Jeff. I think I think when the day is done, no matter what what the crop in terms of your tillage immediately ahead of planting, correct? Well, um, yeah, so the question was, is a field cultivator versus vertical till, what is better? Well, you know, it depends on the situation. Vertical till may be a little better if the soil is on the wetter side because it doesn't go as deep. On the other hand, the field cultivator goes a little deeper and incorporates the fertilizer better. So it depends what your objective is, but, um, with either option, you'd want to make sure that you're, that the soil is dry at least an inch below the depth of tillage when you start to do your tillage. Very good. Very good. All right. Next week, uh, we're going to have an opportunity to have Jeff back again, along with Dr. Seth Nave. At this same time in, in program, uh, Liz Stahl will be, the, uh, will be the moderator. And so we welcome with that. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping here. Uh, we will have a three-question little survey as you sign off, but we would like you to fill that out um, depending on, on the program and give us some feedback uh, with that. Uh, we also, again, want to thank um, not only University of Minnesota Extension, but the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council and the Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council uh, for their help and, uh, and, and support. So, again, we want to thank... Uh, uh, in, in this case, uh, with this situation, uh, uh, Dennis Toddy and also um, uh, Jeff Coulter for their uh, time this morning. And if you have questions uh, for the situations dealing that primarily on corn and soybeans, we'll have other guests um, coming up here on terms of integrated pest management um, and scouting and uh, talk about some other crops um, as well uh, with that beyond the corn and soybeans on these webinar uh, series. So, Unless there's anything else, uh, thank you very much for uh, attending and um, stay safe and uh, keep the, keep watching for the uh, the link for the upcoming uh, programs. So thank you again.